who is, who came, and will come again. Amen. So the gospel that we had for today is not a mistake. You think, oh boy, that belongs with Palm Sunday. No, it's about the arrival of Jesus, maybe in ways that we don't think about during Advent, but that's the appointed reading. But I'm not going to use that one today. I'm going to use the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and show you the Advent when Jesus shows up, his arrival, uh, his coming, and how it's portrayed in the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to go through the first 15 verses. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him, that is John, and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And as he preached, and he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then we go to verse 9. And here comes Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And there he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is our text. So for those of you who like. Uh, stories, whether they be um, autobiographical or whatever, the way that a writer introduces us to a character tells us a lot about what we should know about that particular character. Okay? So, you know, we've got a new Willy Wonka movie coming out, but in the 1973 version, the title character does not appear in the film until about a quarter of the way through the movie. Why are we waiting so long? Before we see Willie, all we have is sort of rumors about what he's like. Other characters talk a lot about him. We know that he owns a chocolate factory. We know that he makes the best candy in the world. And we know he's created a little bit of buzz around everything because he's he started this contest. As everyone around the globe looks for golden tickets in the candy, right? And so what do the winners get? The people who find golden tickets, as you know, will win a tour of the factory and a lifetime supply of chocolate. All right. Sounds like a pretty good deal. That's not all. 
there's this buzz happening because uh, Willy Wonka is known as sort of a, a flamboyant guy. He's, he's, a, he's a showman, right? In fact, someone refers to him as the greatest of them all. And it's odd because he hasn't been seen in public for a long, long time. But there's this idea, there's this thing that he says, I'm coming out. And he gives an appointed day. And of course, everybody's waiting. Everybody is, is eager for his arrival and awaits for it with anticipation. But here's the deal. When he arrives, things aren't as people expect. He walks with a limp. He walks with a cane. He approaches the crowd steadily and deliberately, but we see a man who doesn't really appear to be the greatest of them all at all, right? He's a little bit worn down by life. And the cheering stops once people see the condition he's in. The looks of joy from the crowd give way to looks of a shock, a disappointment, pity. But then suddenly, at the last minute, he falls forward. And you think, oh my gosh, he's so frail, he's, something bad's going to happen. He's falling. Oh, you know, oh no! But what happens is he falls forward, does a somersault, lands on both feet, springs up, and he's as youthful and as spry and as entertaining and as tricky as ever. And the crowd roars with approval. Now, this is something that you should take note of. This character introduction is an example of something called the reversal of expectation. Okay? And you probably can already see it at work. And it's happened twice already. So, the expectation at first is that he's going to be a wonder to behold. And then the people are saying, oh, he's not what, I th what we thought at all. Right? But then things reverse again. And we see that he is a, indeed a showman who deliberately tricks the crowd and tricks the movie audience, right? Those of us watching about who he really is. And there's the key. He's tricky. We don't really know what to expect from this character, right? This whole setup. We don't know what to expect. And that's the point. Now consider the arrival of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. I, I hesitate to call Jesus a character. This is a historical narrative. Let's make that clear, right? This isn't a, a, a fairy tale. This isn't a fable. It's not a, just a story. It's a historical narrative. So um, let's make that clear right now. So how and when does Jesus arrive? I pointed it out to you. Here's where he appears. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, right, his hometown, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Jesus shows up in the Gospel of Mark to be baptized by John. Now, if you know who Jesus is, and you guys do, this might be a little bit surprising. John has come to proclaim what God has promised in the latter days, the last days, right? Purification for Israel. Freedom from the pollution of their sins. And John's baptism, that's what the purpose was, 
repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was a baptism for sinners. So we see Jesus, we know who he is, but there's this reversal of expectation. Why is he coming to John? Doesn't make any sense. Does Jesus need what John is offering? Namely, cleansing and purification from sin. And so there is this reversal of expectation in the Gospel of Mark. It's glaring. Because before this, we have a lot of things that were told in the Gospel of Mark in just eight short verses. We learn that Jesus is the Messiah. We learn that Jesus is the Son of God. We learn that Jesus is the messenger of the covenant promise in Malachi. And Jesus is divine because the baptizer is to prepare the way for who? The Lord, right? Yahweh. Right? The, the, the baptizer, the one announced in Isaiah 40, isn't just preparing the way for anyone, preparing the way for Yahweh himself. And John, of course, as you heard, speaks of someone stronger than himself, mightier than himself, who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And of course, we know that one who is coming is Jesus. And so we're waiting for Jesus right after those first eight verses, the greatest of them all. The greatest, the promised one. And we're waiting for Jesus to do the things that the Messiah would do. The Son of God would do. God himself would do. Things like baptizing with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus isn't baptizing. John is baptizing. And he baptizes Jesus. Jesus is passive here. He is acted upon by John. It seems odd. It's almost as if he's just another Israelite coming out to see the baptizer for the purification of sins. And the first eight verses seem like, oh man, what's going on? Is this really what we're supposed to expect? That the Lord Jesus submits to a baptism meant for sinners? There are some modern scholars who argue that Jesus was no different uh, than any other one, any other person who came to John the Baptist. They argue that that the brief account of the baptism uh, kind of emphasizes this point: that Jesus saw himself, and thus we should too, as a sinner who needed baptism. And so, are we wrong, guys, to expect that Jesus would really be different? From anybody else. Well, Mark does not leave us wondering for long. Because there's a reversal again. Things happen at the baptism of our Lord that do not happen at other baptisms. At least that I know of. Now, maybe you have a different story, but I no, come on. So what happens? Well, you know, it's just not a normal baptism. The heavens split open, first of all, and the Holy Spirit comes down. Now, the Holy Spirit is given in the gift of, in the gift of baptism to all of us, but uh, visually, uh, not like it did with where it comes and, and uh, comes down to Jesus visually. 
And of course, then we have the Father's voice from heaven proclaiming, This is my beloved Son. With you I am well... Or you are. It actually addresses it that way. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Announced for everyone to hear. Loud and clear. Jesus is not just anyone. Jesus really is who we, who, who we've come to expect in the first eight verses. He really is uh, the Son of God. He really is uh, Yahweh himself come down. And his baptism is not for him. His baptism is for you. Right? The great exchange. We'll talk about that. And then you notice that immediately after the baptism, Jesus is cast out into the wilderness to battle with Satan and uh, tempting. And where Israel failed miserably for 40 years in the wilderness, uh, Jesus does not fail and succumb to the temptations of the great accuser. And after that, then, Jesus begins proclaiming this wonderful Advent message that you and I still treasure today. The time's fulfilled, right? The end times are here. The time is fulfilled. The reign of God is here in the person of Jesus Christ. Repent, believe the good news. It's here for you. Receive it. Take joy in it. By the time we get to verse 15, Jesus has arrived and he is carrying out his mission. God's promises in the Old Testament have come to pass. Or they're beginning to. Our expectations again are fulfilled. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest of them all, begins doing what we expected him to do. He proclaims and inaugurates the reign of God here on earth. Restoring all things. He is going to redeem his people. And he's going to preach the word of God. With authority. He's going to exercise dominion. Right? Over the satanic realm. Over the devil and all of his minions. And all of uh, the demons. Unclean spirit. He's going to have authority over sin itself. Right? And the, and the effects of sin. Over disease. Right? Over the corrupted nature. And he's going to forgive sins, got that authority. And he's even going to have authority over death itself. He will deliver his people. But he's going to do it in ways that are not to our expectation. Because he's going to do it not in a theology of glory, but a theology of the cross. Obedient to his Father's will and plan. That's what Jesus is going to do. The divine Son of God did not need baptism, but Israel did. And so as Jesus comes to be baptized, he takes the sins of the world upon himself, the mantle. Here is the font of the great exchange, where Jesus takes all that is ours... Uh, all the negative stuff, our sin, our death, our rebellion, and gives us his righteousness, his life, and all those things. 
And then also, not also does he not only be baptized, but he also goes to death on a cross. And we think, well, what's he doing there? He's not a sinner. Uh, you're right, he's not. Once again, Jesus appears to be a sinner, even though he is not. Why does he come to be baptized? Why does he hang on a cross? To redeem sinners. To, re to Again, to take our sins upon himself. And then to overcome them. To redeem Israel. It seems scandalous. This whole thing. Not only the baptism, but imagine even more the death on a cross. Scandalous. And yet, he's vindicated. This, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. He is vindicated. He rises from the dead victorious. Much to our joy. From the beginning of Mark's gospel, we see who Jesus is. He's baptized for Israel. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's proclaimed God's Son. He's sent to inaugurate God's reign of salvation. And in that reign, He will confront our chief enemies, your chief enemies. Namely, sin, death, the power of the devil. The beginning tells us exactly who Jesus is and what he's come to do. One who is Christ, one who is the Son of God, one who is Yahweh himself, one who is Lord. You might say, what does that mean? What is it to become a Lord, asked Martin Luther in the large catechism. Here's what Marty wrote. It means that he has redeemed and released me from sin, from the devil, from death. And those tyrants and jailers have now been routed. And their place has been taken by Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of life, righteousness, and every good blessing. May the Lord God, our Heavenly Father, bless our meditation this Advent and direct our faith to Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, who has come to inaugurate God's reign of salvation in him. Let us find joy and peace in that wonderful, wonderful announcement. Amen. Now may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.